Hi, I'm Ben, your host for the next hour, and you're listening to a Virgin Startup podcast produced with the support from our friends at Virgin Money. The podcasts are recordings of our free meetups, which take place every month. Check out virginstartup.org events to sign up for the next one. Hello, everybody. Uh, here at Virgin Startup, so many founders who apply for a loan and join our workshops and events are building food and drink businesses. And there are some brilliant brand builders and hardworking entrepreneurs in this industry who are part of this community. So that is our focus today. Um, and to find out what the secret source is behind a successful food and drink startup, um, we are joined by Fabian Clark, co-founder of Quarter. That's a quarter of the alcohol in, uh, in gin and other drinks. Dominique Wolf from The Wolf's Kitchen, a new best friend of Jamie Oliver. And Andy Young from Cereal Cafe Black Milk, a cult brand in the food space. Just check them out on Instagram. It is a tasty one. Enjoy. Right, shall we meet our panel? I'm really excited tonight to introduce to you three amazing food and drink founders. Dominique Wolf of Wolf's Kitchen, Fabian Clark of The Quarter, and Andy Young of Black Milk. Here they all are, just like that. Welcome to the festival Virgin Startup stage. Hello. Sorry, we're not in the sunshine. Thanks for having Hi, us. Dominique. Hi, Fabian. Hi, Andy. Thank you for being here. And you, you just heard from Andy about the, the love and the excitement that we feel around the, the Virgin Startup community for food and drink. Um, so now we're going to cross over to the reality of what it's like to do it and take on the question from our audience as well. So just to start, for our starters, for our appetizer, I wanted to ask you all to, like Andy just said, give us a shout out for a food and drink startup brand that you are into at the moment. Dominique. Um, Money Life has been a really great supporter of me and my business and the book. So I, I mean, you've got Pippa Nut up there. Um, you know, Money Life are a great example. And actually, I've learned so much from uh, Dan's podcast on, on being a food founder, actually. So I found that a just, you know, really informative, a fun brand. And I love the product. So Money Life, for those that don't know it, is what? What kind of product is it? It is peanut butter. Um, and they've got several different. Um, like you, I have a, I, I buy it in kilo tubs. So I uh, have it oh, for my... Cool. Yeah, I mean, I love this stuff. I cook with it, I eat it, and they've got a chocolate one, which is ridiculous. I mean, you know. Uh, so that's my snack in the afternoon. The morning one's Amazing. for my breakfast. I mean, I could live off the stuff, so absolutely love it. Oh, yeah, and the dark roasted is is really, Incredible. really good. Thank you for that, Dominique. Uh, Fabian, what about you? Uh, so I think um, Andy's already stolen a couple of my days because I'm good friends with the guys from dash and nice and, and drink them drink my, them myself a lot um however although i love spirits clearly because it started quarter uh i'm a big fan of beer and i would say my favorite at the moment is daya brewing so d-e-y-a brewery based in, based in cheltenham they started 2015 2016 um it just seems like they've just even though they came late to the whole craft beer uh, movement they've created incredible beers which everyone's shouting about, and all the breweries are desperate to get hold of them. So, um, sorry, all the pubs are desperate to get hold of them. <laughs> why? Anyway, why is why them. is it such a hit beer? I don't know. I think everything they create, it just tastes incredible. Uh, yeah. That's pretty much how. Although it's definitely, uh, I hope they don't mind me saying this bit. Although, I mean, I live in London, so everything's expensive, but uh, it is definitely more expensive <laughs> than most beers. But uh, it's definitely worth the extra pound. 
I went. I, I made the mistake of ordering a pint of Beaver Town at Paddington Station the other day. Right. Eight pounds. Eight pounds twenty, <laughs> sir. Oh wow. <laughs> oh wow! I'm like, wow. I've never seen I, that before. No wonder direct to consumers doing so well. I'll stay at home, thanks. I'll get eight eight cans for that. Um, yeah. Andy, what about you? Okay, for me, one of the interesting ones with a business model that's quite uh, close to ours is Pastor Evangelist. In seven years, they went from nothing to an exit to a fast company for £40 million. Pounds. So they had a very clear model that they wanted to follow and to exit quickly. And then they they grew their brand online, their website, through subscription, yeah. but they also had physical places in Harrods. So they had that front of mind presence on the high street in the most amazing place possible. But then they also had the online subscriptions to back it up. So they had multiple revenue streams done perfectly, great brands, great product. And they just did what they wanted to do in seven years and sort of retired onto something else now. So you're 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 trying to follow in their footsteps in terms of their business. Not yeah. not necessarily the exit, but the just the revenue streams, like I say, having the front of mind yeah. high street places that I mean he explained that they don't even need to make profit, they just need to have eyeballs on them and really high football areas. That's far cheaper than having like ads nowadays. Everyone knows how bad Facebook's gone. So to have stuff on the high street, it's really interesting. It's something we want to continue to do. We see online as a channel, but not the means to an end. There's, there we go. Everything's, get, everything's getting more expensive. So, so there the we go. Fighting, fighting the high street is dead uh, mantra already, Andy. I love it. Um, so what? let's go around to what matters to you. Like what, what drives you to get out of bed and really focus on what you're doing? Dominique? Um, for me, it's that sort of desire to keep that business at the forefront. So it's keeping that momentum up. You know, I think it's just I'm sort of a bit tunnel visioned. So it's just I'm so focused on getting to the next stage and building it. Um, it's only me in the business. So if I sort of take my foot off the ball for a minute, uh, which I have done occasionally, uh, you know, it goes to pot. So it's for me, it's keeping that momentum up, keeping that enthusiasm. And for me, it's it's that excitement, you know, I want to still love what I'm doing and that passion for it, um, which can be hard in the food business because it's not all about, for me, my favourite part, creating that recipe. So it's how can I keep it exciting for, for me as a, as a founder? Yeah, the day it's not exciting is, is a hard one as a founder, isn't it? Because then you're like, oh, no, I've got to motivate everyone it's else not... as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, Fabian, what about you? What drives you? Uh, I think... Fundamentally, what drives me is um, doing something completely different. I mean, we are essentially starting like a whole new category in, in in the spirits market, which is daunting. And don't get me wrong, it has its challenges and hurdles, but uh, find it really exciting. And I think um, fundamentally, and sounds a bit grandiose, but uh, thinking bigger picture and shift fundamentally like changing how people potentially drink and how interactive spirits for me is what gets me really excited and if we can ever achieve even a portion of that would um i'd feel like i've done something yeah so you feel like you're part of a bigger movement and mission which, which yeah. is true for all your all your businesses um andy what what's uh what's the driver i love building things and i love the challenge behind building something building a cafe from hand moving to a bigger cafe building that uh, building the e-commerce side to the business uh, Black Milk was consciously chosen as a brand name where we can do anything with it. Obviously, Virgin's another great example of that. So we we understand as we evolve as individuals and our consumers also change, we can slowly, gradually change to provide needs in different sectors, different things, and just keep it interesting for ourselves as entrepreneurs. 
That's brilliant to hear. Um, and as we are sharing these appetizers, we're getting lots of people joining us. So Najila, head of product at Cerebrium Studio. I hope I'm saying that uh, correctly. Uh, Kishan, founder of Beans Around the World, a small coffee brand uh, that's just getting going. Mohit's joining us from India, building a vegan food and drink uh, business. Nax Snacks, Brittany. Uh, pre-launch high-protein, low-sugar version of a Maltesers. So, yeah, there we go. We got <laughs> we got the full house of meals here. Um, so let's do so. Let's let's share our stories now of how it began. And and for all of us, um, you know, it, at some point this was just an idea. So take us back to that moment. And Andy, maybe if we can start with you, um, what was the moment where Black Milk sort of came to life um, in your mind, and how did you turn it into the first version? So the first version there uh, was back in 2015. Uh, we'd wanted to do a food and drink brand for a while. Uh, me and my business partner started out as nightclub promoters. So we've always been involved in the events and experience sort of industry. So we took that experience from the nightclub, from a dance floor to a plate. We just decided to create something special there. We used the same techniques, the same people. And we just really knew we had to focus on that unique blue ocean sort of strategy of having something so interesting that you've got no competitors and through doing that you can really stand out and grow and grow and with the help of virgin startup we opened a new larger premise and it's so, just andy just sorry to jump in but there's so much you yep. just said already i'd love to tease out a couple of the things no so when you say you wanted to take what what you were doing on the dance floor or witnessing not me put it into it yeah <laughs> well I'm, no judgment here yeah um, and yeah, and and put it into a, a food experience. Can you just explain that? Break that down for so, us. So, uh, as a brand, experience is everything. It's the service you have. It's the food you eat. It's your senses, your smell, your vision, what you hear. Uh, there's everything going on there. We just want to be a, in a good way, a sensory overload of everything that you do. So you're just left with a wow, the static sort of joy feeling about the brand and the product. So yeah, like we've, me and my business partner have got slightly different backgrounds. Like so I was event management, he's got a food and drink family that have been entrepreneurs of different brands. So we've uh, we took that and combined it together and we've been a great partnership for 12, 13 years now. And we've just done multiple businesses with it and it's, it's always worked well. And um, yeah, it's been a great journey. It starts small and we started with just cash flow. We started with a minimal by product minimal viable product, I guess you'd call it. Started something really basic and then grew and grew through sales and cash And what, what was that MVP? Can you describe it to us and also what you were testing, what you learned from it, how you how you resourced it? Yeah, so we started in a place called Affleck. So it's a little sort of, uh, it's kind of like uh, Camden, I guess, where you've got loads of different independent retailers and uh, makers so we we opened up one unit there and before we'd even announced that it was opening bbc were on the phone to us asking us about it so we went from one unit to two units before we even opened and then we started as a cereal cafe so initially we were going to be takeaway only and then it worked so well immediately that we decided to have a seating area and then within a couple of months we had two seating areas and it just you just had that initial support of the community basically everyone loves us snappy up start doing something interesting and we we made sure that we shared our story online through social media we spoke to the press uh, i've been on israeli tv i've been on british tv i've been done all sorts of interesting stuff our social media has been watched by millions and millions by now so that 
we're not a individual focus brand but it's all about black milk for us we're, we're in the background so everything is about the products our staff providing the service and then just making sure everything's perfect for everyone involved and and do you say that the first version was a cereal or the first um place that you opened was focused on cereals to explain to people who might not understand why that was so exciting or or how you made that enticing for people so yeah we, we started uh basically the, the idea was nostalgia of uh looking back to your childhood and obviously your parents would say oh you can't do this you can't do that have your cornflakes with just milk and we found that boring but we also saw an opportunity to really do something nostalgic for something we both loved from like lucky charms to everything else that's interesting i actually grew up in america for a few years as well so oh, i had okay. a lot of influence of american dessert brunch all this sort of stuff so um in terms of operations, if you try and do everything at once, you don't fail unless you, you've been in the industry for years and years and years. Like I said, as a nightclub promoter, it's quite different from being a cafe manager. So uh, we, we started with cereal and then we introduced milkshakes and then we introduced waffles and then we've introduced bacon quite recently. And we keep on adding these processes. So if you analyze businesses, it's just the sum of your processes. It'll be serving people, making the food cleaning up after them marketing so you just want to as a startup nail one or two to start with and just the products the delivery how you serve it and then just something food food safety is critical you can kill people it's that simple we have nut spreads so nut allergies are a big ones we're very careful there there you go you just put off half the crowd you can kill people (laughs) he said (laughs) can't do that with you making a web app but no (laughs) It is it's a crucial yeah. part of the journey. Um, Andy, thanks yeah. for that introduction to Black Milk. We'll cut, I want to come back to the financials and other aspects of businesses. But Dominique, um, very different journey, uh, but still in the same industry. So tell us about yeah. where it began for you. So I guess it was 2019. I had this idea. I'd had three kids in quick succession. So, I mean, they're currently, I think at the time they were like one, two and three or something ridiculous, you know. Um, and I knew I needed a new career. I didn't have one to fall back on. And after a lot of soul searching, I realized, you know, it was food. I always was obsessed by food. I was most happy in the kitchen, just creating and concocting. Um, my Thai auntie, and I'm half Thai, my Thai auntie had made these wonderful sauces and it was a tamarind sauce, which I remember first trying a few years ago and that had sparked this sort of excitement, never had anything like it. It blew me away. So when I was soul searching in 2019, I was like, hang on, there's this amazing sauce. I, I need to bring it to market. I've never tried anything like it. Um, so I knew I was going to do that. Um, instead of going straight into it, I kind of procrastinated a bit. I decided to go to Leeds Cookery School. I wanted to immerse myself because actually at that point, I knew I also wanted to be a food writer. I didn't know how it was going to transpire in the end. But my plan was to kind of do the food writing, develop that whilst developing a product. And somehow the two would kind of merge and make something greater than each individual part. Uh, which I'm still working on, but I I think we're going in the right direction. Um, So I did Leeds Cookery School. I started writing a regular food column um, just to hone my writing skills, which thank God I did that. Um, And then in the September 2019, I said right to myself, right, I'm going to give myself a deadline because I actually work best with deadlines. I'm a bit 
disorganized a lot of the time. So I need a bit of a focus. So I said, right, by December, I'm going to have three products. Um, I'm going to take them to my local farmer's market and test the concept um, over the previous years. And even before I had this thing, I, um, the light bulb moment, I'd been to quite a few food events. So um, it was things like bread and jam, um, virgin startup meetups. Um, I'd been to Enterprise Nation. So I'd been to a lot of these events and I uh, understood that you had to ideally go and test it. So my goal was December. Um, I worked on these resources and miraculously, miraculously found a small manufacturer immediately. I was really lucky. I'd done a bit of digging and, and found one. And so I actually had these three products with Canva. I did a label on Canva. They printed it up for me. Um, oh, and went to the Canva. Ima well. Imagine if you had to build this business without Canva. No, I mean, I, I didn't even know what it was until, <laughs> you know, recently. But um, And I went to uh, Ali Pali Farmer's Market, did two dates and sold 250 bottles of sauce, which, is, you know, is a decent amount of sauce to ship at a farmer's market. So that yeah. test, that was the test in the concept bit. Um, right, someone other than my mum says they like it, so we're onto something. Um, and I was always, again, I'd been to a talk and I think it was, um, uh, an, well, it was another food founder who'd said, root of minimal investment. I'd never heard this before. Andy mentioned it kind of. Uh, and so for me, it was like, well, I'm not going to invest a lot in it. You know, manufacturing doesn't have to be scary. I thought you'd have to do 50,000 bottles to do manufacturing. Um, it's, you know, it was a run of 500 or something and you can even do smaller. So it was totally possible. I wasn't going to spend so much outlay, so much initially um and i just literally did it in those increments um i was due to launch um in april but lockdown happened um mm. it gave me a couple of months grace and actually you know i did i think like the rest of the world i had a bit of a brain fog i didn't know if i wanted to do the business but i had a thousand bottles of sauce in a warehouse um the branding i had done at that point we'd rushed it through because I'm, I'm one of these people jump before you're ready and you know, i heard that somewhere and i'm totally i'm just one of those people if I don't do it if I wait for that right moment it's never going to happen um, I could have waited for years to find the ideal disruptive product that didn't exist um, at blah 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 and I, I didn't I just I knew I had a product I could be passionate about I could be authentic about and I thought I'm just going to do this um, and but in that instance I probably had rushed the branding so it gave me two months extra to, to rework it and tweak it and then I launched in the June um, in lockdown still in 2020. Wow well yeah I, I'm just so many questions, but the, I guess the first one is really around the children, and yeah. you know, those are three startups on a whole nother level. So uh, I know. You know so, so, so to make that decision to go, I'm going to jump in with two feet into building a business, and then when lockdown came, to then still go at it. What what drove you through that? Well, I I just became. I'm one of these again. I'm quite tunnel visioned when I want to be. Um, I'm, I'm not like that with every aspect of my life. It would be impossible. But I just had it in my mind that this was, it's my time. You know, after 40, my kids were three, four and five. I knew I needed to find this sort of purpose, which was my business, which was something I could do for myself that I could be successful in and show, you know, show the world I could do something exciting. Um, I, I knew that food was just, I was so excited about the prospect of starting a brand. Um, I'd been to workshops and it was in fact a virgin workshop I'd been on uh, a few years ago about building a brand and I just thought this is so exciting this is something I really really want to do and I'm not gonna let lockdown get in my way um you know of course at that time my kids were three four and five by this time 
Um, so it was obviously really hard. Um, I just had to make it work a bit more TV than usual. They'd come with me to delivery. They, they uh, you know, a bit of bribery to go to the post office again. Uh, I did I did deliveries myself for the first month and then realised I've got the warehouse sorted. I'm not doing, you know, it seems like it's you're, you're spending money on it, but actually it takes me an hour to, to deliver something half a mile down the road. <laughs> so no. Um, and that's so the thing that people who've never done food and drink startups before don't perhaps don't appreciate it's so physical like uh, it's it, very hard to do this without like being physically involved in a way that people are sitting on machines or they don't realize absolutely and even just packaging samples which actually i stopped doing now and i hate i mean i hated it because you know putting the boxes together i mean it would take me about half an hour to get the box in configured and then my living room would be taken over and and the sellotape everywhere. I never quite hand got the grasp of all of this. So there's definitely areas you need to outsource. And I've spoken to people that have been going for years and years and still have a garage and they package it all up and send it themselves. And and absolutely fair play if they found a way of doing it. And for me, I just knew that I had to focus where my strengths are. And that's definitely not <laughs> that's not one of my strengths. Uh, final question on the on the early days, Dominic. Can I come to Fabian's story? But um did you, it sounds like a lot of this was just obviously passion and instinct, but did you look at all at the sort of marketplace in terms of competition? Because sources especially seem to be like yeah. so much, so much competition and yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I did um, a competitor analysis. I, I, you know, I'd gone in enough courses to know that you need to look at your three C's, your category, your competition, your consumers. I'd been to the British library um you know touch typed the, <laughs> that you can only print off like one sheet of the report so i did what i could that proved that you know spicy food was on the up condiments were on the up thai food was you know well it's not just thai but it's asian inspired but i kind of had enough to go well look this is something um it admittedly you know as i've said this this wasn't a new product to market it's not in a disruptive new c category so i knew that that was always going to go a challenge let's say yeah. but yeah. i also think I knew that my product was good and different um, and I had a backstory. So I yeah. thought I'm, I have to go for it because, you know, even if it means that two years down the line, I pivot and do something else. That is, I've now got two years of experience in the food industry at ground level that I would never have had had I waited to find that ideal moment or product. And and Wolf's Kitchen, obviously, uh, name, What? But, but in terms of the brand and what it represents, what did you, why did you decide to use your name? Yeah, so um, I did deliberate for a while. I almost spent tens of thousands on going to an agency that I didn't have, but I did look into it to get a rebranding. And in the end, I came back to Wolf's Kitchen. Um, for me, the, the products are about feisty flavour. It's about being a flavour hunter. And I just sort of felt that the Wolf was really sort of appropriate. It's fun. For me, you know, it felt like there's an element of, of fun with it as well. It's kind of, and it's powerful it's strong and for me um asian flavors are big bold they're feisty they're fiery um and it's kind of colorful and, and you know for me the wolf really sort of fit that amazing fantastic thank you dominique fabian take us back yeah uh so i suppose probably a bit before i started i actually before this and actually did um uh was part of the virgin startup community back in 20 15 i think i um oh, I had a business called yeah <laughs> well i had a business called claw so i which was a restaurant and catering business and I so that was sustainable the, seafood crabs yeah sustainable seafood um casual we were trying to do casual sustainable seafood so we had a restaurant in so so 
and catered all around the country. And so, yeah, I think with Virgin, we won the Virgin Foodpreneur Award, I think it was called. Um, but that, and then that's, so I suppose the reason I'm bringing that up is that when I had the restaurant, that was just back in 2018 and the whole zero alcohol spirits market kind of started in 2015, 2016 with Seedlip. Mm. And when I had the restaurant, we had customers ask for low alcohol uh, options. And I tried a lot of the zeros. And for me, as in on a completely personal note, I, I found um, it didn't really give me the flavor and experience that I was like, really looking for when I wanted to reduce my alcohol intake. Um, and at the same time, I felt they uh, were, weren't very versatile. So fundamentally, they couldn't be mixed with other uh, stronger alcoholic counterparts. So that's kind of was already sort of um, in the back of my mind. And when I um, left Claw, I was um, ruminating, like thinking of what to do next. And I remember just, it sounds odd, but I was like questioning to myself, why in spirits compared to say beer, or, or even wine to an extent, why is it always like all or nothing? You literally can't pick and choose at what speed you want to go at. And I just found it really bizarre that the spirits have just stayed the same this whole time. And, and it's so binary. Uh, and anyway, the more research I did, and then obviously bringing up the, the past of when I had the restaurant, made me start to really question of why couldn't a spirit be a lower, lower percentage if, if we made it exactly in the same way and, and method and production method of, of the spirit that, it's, it's, um, that it is, and it's just a low ABV, then it should, you know, for example, a gin, apparently you can't call it a, can't call it a gin if it's below 37.5%. However, I, I just thought that was, these are rules that have been put in place sort of 20 years, uh, sorry, 100 years ago. Um, and if it's made in the exact same way, but it's just low in alcohol, then who's to say, who really is to say that it's not a gin? Anyway, so then that's how... I started thinking about it and I called a good friend of mine who I always used to bounce ideas off. Um, so my co-founder called Rowan and he, his history is in branding and packaging design. And he worked agency side and worked with a lot of the big drinks brands. So AB and Bev, uh, Diageo, etc. And I remember saying to him, I've got this idea. I really you know, think there needs to be something in the middle, something to offer customers the choice of, when they don't, they still want the flavor. They still want a bit of the buzz, but not always uh, all that alcohol and all that punch. Um, and I said, you know, I think it should be, you know, quarter the alcohol, quarter the calories, uh, etc. And then he just said, I think we should call it quarter. And then that was like, so the fastest naming uh, decision we've ever made, which was pretty handy. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, and that was it. And then we just um, got started, um, started working on on the brands, uh, and then. Um, raise money for our first production run and yeah that was sort of we we launched end of last year so September October D2C and then as of sort of January February um, started speaking to the on trade once COVID had kind of settled decided to start speaking to bars restaurants sorry that's what on trade means just to um, listen to we don't know um, uh, yeah so it's been an exciting journey and quite as I have to admit even though I had all that experience of working and having ran my own startup before. And um, this is uh, yeah, quite different. So uh, definitely still, sort of still learning. Thanks so much for sharing that Fabian. It seems to me there were two, there were two risks not too long ago that you were 
um, had to take to get to give this a go. One is, could you make the the stuff a quality quarter proof gin? Mm. And secondly, what was there an audience uh, for this? Because we know we know the um, the zero alcohol or very low alcohol uh, community has been growing in, in the drink space, which has been really exciting to see. But this is a different proposition, and you have to educate. And so, so mm. how did you figure out like? how to manage those risks or you just like I, i've got a gut instinct and i think we can do it let's give it a go so yeah i think answering those questions we kind of tackled them both simultaneously so we initially ran a big questionnaire for I don't know, 500 people um friends family friends of friends friends of friends you know big tangents just to really and and we made sure they're all different um age groups etc and essentially asking them how they drink just re to really understand like why people drink, uh, what drives them to to have a to have a drink, um, and and also would they be interested if they could enjoy the same drink but without uh, the consequences I suppose and without as much of the effect. And uh, luckily, obviously, um, we wouldn't have started quarter otherwise. But luckily, most of it, the majority came back saying yes. Uh, Fundamentally, most people drink for two reasons, to, to relax, to unwind, to take the edge off, or, or to be more social, you know, social lubricant, which is what uh, I suppose alcohol fundamentally is. And, um, and, and then we started looking at a lot of data. And what's really interesting is, um, so even though the zero space is growing, and, you know, as I, as I mentioned, um, spirits-wise, it only really kicked off in 2015, 2016. But 80, it's over 80% of people who drink zero alcohol still consume regular alcohol and so what we thought was really interesting about that is it, it fundamentally shows that people aren't trying to abstain all they're trying to do is to moderate and to i suppose to uh, control the, the amount of alcohol they drink so um yeah so we just thought there was definitely a market for it we'd seen it working in the beer in the beer industry so small beer which another brand i should have mentioned yes. earlier i absolutely love yeah and was one of my nice main brand. inspirations for quarter yeah, I absolutely love it. So for those who are listening who don't know, uh, uh, their beers are essentially sort of table beers, which is a historic um, uh, style of beer, which is anything from, say, one to two and a half, three percent. And uh, I absolutely love them. That's kind of where the idea of one of the uh, inspirations of Porter and Beaver Town and various other breweries have now started to release um, or in the last couple of years, started to release lower ABV beers. Um, anyway, so that's answering that part of the question, but then trying to create this liquid. So we always had the ambition to create um, several spirits, but we wanted to start with gin because everybody loves gin. Gin is still one of the, it's one of the largest, uh, uh, after vodka, but vodka is primarily um, just mixed. Uh, gin is still one of the largest spirits in the UK. And um, we knew at a low ABV, you could still impart a lot of flavor. And we went through various distilleries, various distillers, and eventually found um, an absolutely incredible guy who's um, now part of our business, a guy called Anthony. And he is amazing, uh, worked at Diageo for years, fully understands how a whole range of spirits, are, uh, how to make a whole range of spirits. And he fundamentally said, yes, we can definitely do this and we can make a gin which is 12% and it's exactly the same, still blended, 
uh, sorry, distilled and blended like a gin, but it'll be blended at 12% as opposed to 40, 50, whatever uh, ABV you want. And uh, yeah, so then, and we went through about 70, 80 liquids and finally... Um, hang on, hang on, 70 to 80, you went through, why, by going through, what do you mean? Uh, so just, we kept testing different flavors, testing okay. different ABVs, we went, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't say we want to make a twelve percent gin. We said we want to make. Although our brand, obviously, as I said, was good, we wanted to be called Porter. We also didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves and say it has to be, you know, roughly ten percent. We just said let's just make the best quality gin that provides flavour, experience, but also fundamentally functionality. And so we went up to twenty. We went down to five. And what we realised is that. Um, around 12 for us was the perfect combination of imparting that flavor still when you're having in a gin and tonic or whether you're having in a Negroni you're still getting that delicious uh, experience that you want um, but then also the functionality so funded you know a quarter um, by very nature of the name four quarter tonic is roughly is equals one gin tonic so you can still have a couple and still crack on with work or even drive, not by promoting driving, but if that, um, yeah, you can you can have one or two, yeah, which yeah. you can otherwise. Um, that's fascinating, Fabian. On on the product development, I want to come back to Dominique and Andy. Is it been similar, Dominique, for you in terms of going through like how much, how many different experiments have you done to get your sources I'm, right? I mean, mine was a lot simpler in many ways. I had you know, I knew my auntie had a rough. She gave me a rough recipe, but not the real, not the whole one, because she never really weighed things out. So she trademarked. She, she trademarked that. Yeah, yeah. She'd gone to Thailand anyway. I think by this point, so I was sort of going doing it from memory. It took me, you know, a couple of months at home of doing it. Um, and it was relatively a much more straightforward process because it's me testing it going, right, I need half a gram more salt or something. Um, and I knew the flavours I wanted. Sauces are something I can make. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I did actually think yeah, when I was pregnant, I actually came across Credino. And this is a few years ago. And I thought, oh, alcohol free. And I actually did start exploring it. But I had no experience of the industry and I had no idea how you would even go about it. So I didn't go on to that one. Uh, sauces for me was something I could do e easily. Um, yeah. And same with my newest jars of, of paste. It's like literally I'll just be in my kitchen kitchen recipe testing it's what i do and it's so it's actually for me a straightforward process it's not technical yeah it makes sense andy product development what's it look like at black milk it's the specials board basically uh we've had <laughs> core flavors that have been there for eight years like oreo bistro hazelnut cream came in about a year later and then one of the more recent ones pistachio so we we look at what we love what the wider market loves what people asked us for so we get DMs, we get customers asking for stuff that's not on the menu. So we really do keep note of that. When we decided to do pistachio, we literally looked at map, where the pistachios come from. We found a really nice farm that's Mount Etna in Sicily in Italy. So we went there and uh, we go straight to the source now. We figure out what the key ingredients are and then we go to the, where they're farmed. We find out how to do that, get the supply chain right. Obviously, our supply chain has been a bit crazy with everything going on. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question for ingredients, right? Because I remember talking with Pippa Nut. She was saying, you know, almonds, the almond market is so volatile. Um, we don't have control of it, the pricing and everything. Therefore, we have to have enough of the other product. Even though almond Pippa Nut sells really well, we have to have loads of the other products, which are much more stable in terms of their ingredients. Is that is that the case for you at all, Andy? Or is it um, yeah. now you've got the source, are you able to control it? 
So we've had to change the recipe of the most recent batch. Uh, basically, the sauce a lot was full of uh, sunflower oil, which comes from Ukraine and Russia. So we've had to cut out sunflower oil. Yeah. Uh, fertilizers really hard to get a hold of now. So that everything's gone up like several percent of that. We've seen the uh, droughts in the UK at the moment, so we know dairy's going to go through the roof for our milkshakes and ice cream. So it's just adjusting, having the prices right. Sometimes we'll change the recipe, but the product is the product. And if you start tinkering too much, yeah. it starts being something else. You make so that really sound. Just... You make that sound, Andy. Like, and I know you're not in the middle of a stressful moment right now, having a lovely chat. But you make that sound. <laughs> not that painful but i know that that is i mean it's it's really tough so how do you and your team deal with that huge variability because it can change your business very quickly i think the last two years have taught me about stoicism <laughs> i know you said that you do but come so yeah uh, anything that you can't control don't get stressed about focus on what you can control make sure you perfect that and the wider macroeconomic situation i've got no control none of us do but uh we just adjust to it as well as possible we understand what we can do what consumers want if people are tied to them in the purse strings we make sure we're that one destination people go to once a month to enjoy life so we just need to be the best and that's all you can be so whatever it takes to put joy out on the high street that's great and, and um just a general question about challenges what's been the biggest challenge for each of you so far dominique um, well, obviously, at the time, COVID was a was a big challenge for me, um, mainly because I had kids at home twenty four seven. So yeah. you know that was interesting. Um, and I think being a solopreneur, that I find is a challenge because I don't yeah. have anyone to bounce off, um, and there's only so much I can do on my own. So I have personally reached the point where, you know, even if the program hadn't happened and I didn't have this book, I'd still be at that point where I need to get external people coming in, some external investment, some extra input from someone who is more experienced than I am, you know, because I don't have the answers uh, further down the line. So, um, and I think that's great. That's when I realised, you know, I think we've all got to realise at that point. Um, so that's a challenge, finding out how I take that next step. Yeah, and it sounds like you're reaching out to lots of different people at times, which is a great habit. Fabian, I, I know quarter's just begun, but um, more broadly in your entrepreneurial journey, what's been the biggest challenge? Yeah, well, I was just going to say to Dominique quickly, I think it's really commendable when, um, uh, if you're a solo entrepreneur, I did it with Claw, and, and obviously uh, it is really hard. And I think it's, it's one thing I, I suppose I change with quarters, having a co-founder, it's um, when you're by yourself, it is, it is definitely difficult. And, obviously, um, and it's nice to have someone even if they're not a co-founder, just to have uh, someone you can share the, the joys and also then the bad times with at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think yeah, answering your question, then I think, uh, so I suppose for us, even now, I think we're definitely feeling this sort of more sort of global um, uh, economic sort of constraints at the moment. So uh, simple things like trying to get glass. So for us, like glass bottles, um, uh, even corks like have gone up by like a hundred percent, which doesn't sound much, but when obviously you're working everything down to the most sort of minutile margins, then you need to ensure that everything uh, keeps keeps to the same margin. So that that has been difficult, and unfortunately, at our current stage, we haven't got those economies of scale where we can buy sort of you know a hundred thousand bottles or what have you. Um, but I suppose that's probably been our biggest uh, biggest thing that's changed and big, biggest challenge. Um, but I suppose our biggest challenge at the moment, also on a side note, is 
we, as I mentioned earlier, we are developing other spirits and, and that's also going to present another, another challenge of just trying to figure out whether we can develop um, lower percentage, uh, darker spirits or what have you. Okay. So you're going to go beyond gin, look at rum and whiskey and. Yeah, definitely. That was all our ambition, always our ambition from the beginning. Um, okay. We're not hundred percent sure what those spirits will be just yet. We're okay. sort of tinkering around with, um, with Anthony. Uh, with a whole range of different spirits to see what sticks and see what we think works perfectly before we release them. I, I recommend for those that want to geek out on spirits, um, obviously, apart from following and joining in with the fate, with the quarter journey, it's um, on the Virgin Startup podcast. We had a chat with Ben Branson, the founder of Seedlip, uh, last year. And he is, I mean, he's the original geek on this, right? I mean, he went out and did two years of research on on the, all the different flavors and um, floral scents and everything that goes into making spirits and uh, pioneered, obviously, this this amazing industry. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, check that out. Um, on on the bigger, like, we, we just mentioned that there, Fabian, like, the, the bigger picture, and Andy's got his stoicism, so he can just, like, let it all go. But how are we recession-proofing these brilliant brands that you've all created? Because uh, you've got through the pandemic or you've launched during it, what's coming we know is going to be really tough so when you look at inflation results like we're seeing today in the uk 10 percent plus how do you how do you make a plan and can you make a plan to say this is how we're going to get through this as a small brand dominique how are you you, you are a pr marketing machine right and you've, you've done so well in such a short space of time but how do you how do you plan to keep selling this product or scaling it over the coming year yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's a great question. And I am winging it, to, to be fair. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is as I grow, I'm hoping that I will be able to achieve scale in the next year. Um, some, I've got some exciting things on the horizon, hopefully, which is going to help reduce my prices um, and bring it a, a little bit more sort of mass market, if you like. So that will definitely help. Um, you know, mine is an expensive product. It's a five pound source, you know, and yeah. that isn't going to be for everyone in the first place. And potentially there's whether that consumer can I, potentially they will still be able to pay five pounds. I don't know, you know, and it's a good point. And we have to I think we just have to take it as it comes and look at where we can make savings. And I think from what I'm doing, it is scale. I'm definitely nowhere near 100,000 on a run. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you you need a lot to actually start making those savings, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think we're just going to have to keep, a, you know, keep our ears to the ground and just see what happens. And I'll try and get people on board who can advise me. I mean, that's, as again, what I said, I don't have those skills at the moment. So I need to speak to people and get advice and mentoring from people who do. And so I've got a few people lined up for that. So That's great to hear. Um, in terms of, uh, we all know this, is that... Um, bringing on making customers loyal and fans which you all have of your product brand is the best way to build them especially direct to consumer so have you been able to measure like dominique with like repeat custom and like you know do you really know who your customer is now um i'm getting there and certainly i've been in this transition phase and in a way it's sort of bad timing but you know these things happen but i am switching manufacturers so that i can go to the co-op and as a result i've been out of stock of product and that has been really frustrating because at the same time I've been on TV and I've had a book out. So actually I have not made the most of that. I, I could have capitalized upon it a lot yes. more, but that is just a timing thing and I'm not beating myself up about it. Um, so yeah, I could have, I definitely could have capitalized upon that. And I have had so many emails from people saying, where is this product? And I'm like, it's going to be here soon, but I am literally just in this in-between phase while I'm 
phasing one out and getting another on board. So, um, you know, these things happen. So, um, and I'm definitely, definitely one of my products is a really great product. It's been selling so well on Amazon and I've lost that. Uh, I have lost that traction, but you know, as I say, I'm, I'm learning from that process and I know that I'll get it back once, once it's there. Um, I think it is just about building it and, and keeping going. And again, I, I will be capturing more of that data. And I do have a newsletter list. I mean, you know, people are signing up to it all the time. And so, yeah, we, we are catching. Isn't it mad? I mean, I, you're, you're creating a great brand and product, but it, it's also slightly mad, isn't it, that people sign up, give it like, yeah, I'll be on a newsletter for a, a, a cool source business. <laughs> Like what? I know, a, hot exactly. a hot source business, I should say. And there's definitely it's, more that can be done. So yeah, but it's great. This is what brand building is all about. It's like, well, yeah, I want to hear what Dominique's up to and, and the creations. Um, really briefly, Dominique, you must share your TV story for those that uh, were in a dark hole when it happened. Yeah. So if you didn't see it, Jamie Oliver had a show out earlier this year called The Great Cookbook Challenge. So it's a cookery program. Uh, but the prize, you actually had a prize, which was a cookbook deal with Penguin Michael Joseph, which are his publishers. And for some, somehow I won it. I've got no idea how. Um, and so I won that and I got a cookery book deal. And that book was out uh, in well, two months ago. Um, and it's a number one Sunday Times bestseller. So I'm very excited about that. And it's been, you know, bestseller on Amazon since it was out. So it's done really, I mean, amazingly well, uh, which right. I do, I can't believe it, to be honest. So, yeah. Well, so you, that's you, you, I've been you doing made it well. happen. <laughs> Tell us, tell us briefly about like, yeah, what was the thing that you learned from that journey, the TV journey and, and all the razzmatazz oh. around it? Um, I, I learned, I mean, I did learn a lot about uh, being very focused. I mean, I, I did have to cut out alcohol for about four months, actually, because I was given a very steep deadline of about six weeks to write a book, you know, 85 recipes or something. So that was intense. Um, and I, I mean, again, this is my tunnel vision focus. It's like, I knew this had to be done and you know I just literally dropped everything else and I did have to not look at the Wolf's Kitchen for a little bit because this book this is my opportunity you know it's a massive massive opportunity and I wanted to take it by the horn so and also actually what it did make me realize is how much I love that recipe creation process which is at the heart of the Wolf's Kitchen and it actually all ties in really well um, and it's all about a solution I'd, I'd thought this before and it all came together it's like the Wolf's Kitchen products offer people a solution who love Asian flavours, but maybe they don't have time to make that sauce. And they can add it. They can pimp up their everyday avocado on toast for something delicious. Or you can, you know, use one of my simple recipes. So it's a, it provides a solution and all of it fits in with that kind of solution. So it kind of maybe the pieces of the jigsaw sort of started to fit about what Dominique's Kitchen and the Wolf's Kitchen could be as a sort of unit, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And you, you got offered a book deal from Jamie Oliver or Penguin. So that you, it's hard to say no to that. Um, and you've yeah. got 80 new recipes for the future to turn into products or inspired products. So there's exactly. work, good work all around. Um, now, before we start to wrap up, I wanted to talk about the bigger picture here of um, sustainability and climate. Like we, we, we're, all these crises are happening around our world and food and drink is at the heart of the problem, as we know, not, not our startups, but big food and drink and agriculture and so industrial agriculture and so on. How do you in your... Um, in your everyday work, do your best to make sure that you're not contributing to a, a negative social or environmental uh, problem in the world that's already existing. Andy, how do you do it at Black Milk? So we've we've done it from day one. We've always focused on premium products, which is glass over plastic anyway. So we've done it consciously and unconsciously at the same time. We've avoided plastic at all costs. I literally walk in a cafe now and look, what's plastic? What can I get rid of? 
everything going out the door is plastic free, it's all cardboard, glass, recyclable, reusable, more importantly. So going out of the building, everything's now grey. Coming into the building, so I'm looking at like we go through thousands of tubs of ice cream a year. So that's all plastic. So now I'm speaking to suppliers about how we can move to stainless steel with that. So like I mentioned with stoicism, I can control what I can control, my little corner of my house where I live and then where my business, where we run something, I can make sure that's as good as possible and then try and pass that on to our consumers. And it's just encouraging reuse. Obviously we don't want to reduce because we still want to sell stuff. So reduce, reuse, so we can encourage our guests to reuse what they have and then recycle what they don't want to reuse. And And when there's a cost challenge in there, so it's more expensive to switch to the glass or the stainless steel. How do you balance that out? Do you try and do it in a phase? You phase it in, or is it I a red line? You just go, we've got to switch. No, charge more. And I want to charge even more. So we're looking at getting artists to design our glasses so we okay. can charge an extra five pounds for a glass. So we, if it's a premium product, shout and stream about it, be proud of it. Say so it's glass, it's recyclable, it's reusable. When we're in Selfridges, we looked at all these amazing perfume bottles that probably cost more than the liquid inside of them for the manufacturers. So we want something that you don't want to throw away. We want a glass that you want to keep on your shelf with your pens in it or something like that, keep your flowers in it. We want a, something that lasts and it's the marketing. I know Richard Branson talks about Virgin Atlantic. People are stealing his little salt shakers. So we've not copied that, but we're aware of those mementos of a brand yeah. being around your house is so important. And if you turn them upside down, it says, thank you for taking this from Virgin Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, that's great to hear. And, and what about the products themselves? So dairy, as we know, is, is, a, is a big, there's a lot of questions on the dairy industry and you're selling a lot of ice cream. So how are you figuring that out? I think we'd have to go vegan. I don't, I don't, well, I'm not saying we will, but we can go vegan if we had to. We, we want the choice. We're not vegan focused. We have vegan options available. Some okay. people are dairy free, people are vegan. People just want don't want dairy, and we we have that option available. So we, if we had to, we can pivot away from milk. But for me, milk tastes amazing. Butter tastes amazing in cake. I don't like cake without butter. It's it is what it is. Uh, whipped yeah. cream's amazing. So wherever possible, we'll just keep dairy in it, and we'll keep on buying dairy at whatever price. Unfortunately, we might have to pass that on. But to lose farmers, for them to lose their livelihood, we try and buy local local farms in Lancashire and Cheshire. So we want them to survive through the next year and through global warming itself. Yeah. It's all possible. So, so many different fun. questions. The headline for me is that whipped cream is great. I think that's what should be on the front of the podcast tonight <laughs> that we get cut up. Um, Fabian, in your business, um, what, what, how do you factor in all these big questions of sustainability? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I suppose we're still fairly... Um, Sort of right, still at the beginning, I suppose, of our journey, and but still from the outset, we ensured that all our packaging was completely recyclable um, and sustainable. So, glass is made from uh, mostly recycled glass, and the whole packaging, everything is recyclable. There's no plastic in any of our packaging, um, apart from a tamper seal, which unfortunately, uh, for legal reasons in retail, you have to have, um, which is also recyclable, which is good. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, I suppose it's one of those things that we try to look at how else we can do good and do better. And so as our brand name is quarter, we like to play on that. So 
we uh, donate a quarter of, of profits each quarter of the year to a different quarter of the world. So although that's not necessarily targeted at sustainability, we like to um, ask our consumers uh, where they, they believe that those profits should go to. And so that's quite a nice, uh, fun thing to involve our, our customers and our customer base yeah. to decide sort of where their money goes to, really. Uh, and we're part of 1% of the planet, and we are signing up for B Corp. Um, but yeah, I think direct sustainability is one of those things that once we have more personnel and once we have an office and the company gets bigger, it's one of those things that um, we're keen to, to ensure that we do everything we can to ensure our business is fully sustainable. And, and I think if you start, um, like Andy mentioned, if you start like that from the outset, it's far easier than trying to rectify it years down the line. And final question, Fabian, I appreciate it's a big one. I'm only going to give you a minute, uh, <laughs> which is a challenge. But why do you think this trend around, uh, in terms of mental health and cultural shift uh, between generations towards quality lower alcohol drinks in this country, which has been obsessed with alcohol for centuries? Um, why is that happening now? Well, that's a tough question, because <laughs> I think it depends who you ask. But... Um, I mean, obviously, as I'm sure a lot of people are aware, it's it's definitely pulling in all the data that shows it's the younger generations, the Gen Zs who are driving a lot of um, this uh, behavior. But however, I mean, so I'm 33 and, and um, even just looking at peers, uh, you, you definitely see this shift of people who, who, who liked alcohol all their life and probably used to get pissed five times a week or whatever. But they're now waking up and realizing that it's not all—it's not all about that. And they—they they want that balance. And I think it fundamentally just comes down to balance. And people want more from life. I think um, we live in a generation uh, or in a time where there's so many experiences, there's so much to be had from from life and, and the world. And and so I think if you spend your life hungover, you won't be able to enjoy them. So I don't know if that's probably if that answers the question, but that's kind of the, my view on it. It's your answer. It's a great one. Thanks, Fabian. Uh, and Dominique, um, for your business, what are the considerations around sustainability? I mean, obviously the packaging. So, you know, my sources are in glass. Um, the nuts are actually recyclable film. So, um, and I did, I have looked into really properly sort of compostable uh, packaging for the nuts and that's very, very expensive, really cost prohibitive for the size of company that I am. So on the radar, it's not something that's a, you know, able to do at the moment because it would add, you know, it would add a, a lot on the price. Um, as Fabian said, it's just me and the company, so I don't have to commute anywhere. There isn't really... I'm doing minimal sort of activity in, in some ways, but as soon as I start getting more people on board, then yes, we can really start implementing some some strategies uh, from the beginning, as Andy said. Um, but as my product ranges, I've got lots of ideas for sort of other product ranges and sustainability will be at the heart of those, whether it's refill, reusable packaging and that kind of stuff. So there's definitely going to be, that is going to be at the forefront of, of some of the stuff we'd be doing. Oh, that's brilliant to hear. So final quick round. Um, We've got a brilliant audience here and community of talented, well-connected, passionate food and drink business lovers. So what what do you want to ask from them? What's one thing that they could, other than being a customer and shouting about it and following you all on, on socials and so on, um, what's one thing that you're sort of looking for help for that maybe this community could could help with? Dominique. 
looking for help from. Um, how? Sorry, can you rephrase it? How do you mean? What, what, what does what does uh, what does uh, Wolf's Kitchen need help with that this community could try and support you on? Um, I think it's that sort of regular in, understanding the so, social media side. I guess I'm just, obviously I do that um, already, but. For me, my sort of weakest link, if you like, is the D2C side. That is a side that I've, I've played with, but I'm not an expert in. And so that is something that I need. And, you know, the social media comes hand in hand with that in terms of how we get that engagement and people to really build that community, actually. Because I think we, we've sort of talked about that community. And I think Andy has that with his cafe, perhaps. And it's like, how do you build a real food community? Because I think with a brand, often people go to the Instagram site and it's they don't engage with it in the same way they would do someone. So how do you yeah. create that real sort of engaged community of, of a tribe that, that want to be, you know, part of that story and journey? Yeah, it's a great question. And the thing that I've seen over the years is is through things like this. Obviously, it's better in person with food and drink, especially. Um, but the festival circuit in the UK is incredible for this sort of stuff where you're seeing all these great food and drink brands come together. Um, and obviously, I would definitely recommend having a chat with this this young man, Andy Young, about um, D2C and Instagram building because yeah. um, whoever he's hired to do it is really good. <laughs> <laughs> he's cheap it's cheaper it's really cheap labor the social media manager um it's, 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 yeah. it's very very impressive so yeah definitely for everyone watching check out black look at black milk's work on that um fabian what do you need help with at quarter uh i think we um are always striving to be better and we're always really keen to get uh you know as i've said several times we're still in the early stages and nascent stage of our business and always keen to get as many people's opinions as possible we've got a new we've really got a new drive now to get as much liquid on lips as i would like to say um so i think really is if anyone from this community wants to to be a recipe tester and wants to try our, our gin as it is and see if it needs improvement or try our new liquids we're always really really keen to um get people's opinions and help craft uh what we can continue to create that is the the best challenge I've ever heard. You know, at a, <laughs> what is your business here? I, can, people would like to sample our delicious product. Uh, well, I'm putting my hands up for for uh, Rebel Book Club because we have uh, events every month um, with a great crowd who are your target audience. All food. Oh, and great! Well, well, if people send, uh, if people whoever's listening to this, and including you, Ben um, and Dominique and Andy. If you uh, send us your addresses, we'll happily send some. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa! Careful what you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you Rowan's promised. probably texting me now saying, "Don't do that." Yeah, but there's no, 200 I'm... people messaging you right now saying, "Yes, we'll have a six pack no, of keep... your." Uh... No, keen no, to no. get people sorts. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, yeah. Fabian. Thank Andy, you. what about yeah. Black Milk? You're doing great things. How can we help you accelerate faster? For me, it's about collaborations. I love working with other people. If it's for a day, if it's for life, we can learn so much from each other. So in the social media sphere, just doing collaborations is great. But behind the scenes, like say we're talking to a source brands like uh, Wolf's Kitchen, we can learn about how they get their product from A to B without smashing. It's little, little details like that are so yeah, important. Always the challenge. Where they buy glass, Unbreakable like deliveries. That. Yeah, so yeah <laughs> that's where it's nightmare to ship but it is what it is. But yeah, it's just collaborations and it's, we're very open. You talk about open source software. We're not trade secrets. We're just very open with what we do. We try and perfect it and we try and bounce off other people to be as good as possible. So we're very open. I think that's important in business nowadays. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think there's a nice theme from our conversation tonight is um, 
you know, it's bringing joy to people. You know, there's a lot of challenges out there, but you're all doing it, Andy, very clearly with Black Milk in terms of your mission and brand on the high street. Um, tough times, people need that. Um, Dominique, you breathed so much joy with your story, your TV stardom. Jamie obviously spotted your talent, and, um, and now everyone else is enjoying it as well as the sources. And Fabian, like bringing joy through drink that doesn't, you know, cause a lot of damage. I think that word that you used earlier, the consequences of alcohol have done so much damage. The stimulation of alcohol is wonderful, isn't it? Like many things, a little mm. stimulation creates magic but too much can be destructive and um, you're building a product that does is in the sweet spot. So I'm excited to try thank it, you. but thank you all three of you for being here tonight and for your work. Um, can't wait thank to uh, share it with everyone else and have a good evening. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thanks Dominique. Bye Thanks Andy. Thanks Fabian. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you found it useful, please share it with other founders and rate and review it online. For tickets to our next meetup, head to virginstartup.org. I look forward to seeing you there.